Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church, North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. We're excited to dig in. So let's dig in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Now I'm going to read from the message translation, and we'll get that up on the screen over here. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says this, and he's got some strong words. He says, I have a serious concern to bring up with you. Uh-oh, my series wigging out here. My friends, using the authority of Jesus, our master, I'll put it as urgently as I can, you must get along with each other. It's kind of strange that Paul's writing to a church and he's telling them, y'all got to get along. You might wonder, like, does that even belong in the Bible? (laughs) If you only knew, if you only knew, right? And he goes on to say, you must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. I bring this up because some of Chloe's family brought a most disturbing report to my attention that you're fighting among yourselves. I'll tell you exactly what I was told. You're all picking sides, going around saying, I'm on Paul's side, or I'm for Apollos, or Peter is my man, or I'm in the Messiah group. I ask you, has the Messiah been chopped up in little pieces so we can each have a relic all of our own? Was Paul crucified for you? Was a single one of you baptized in Paul's name? I was not involved in any of your baptisms except for Crispus and Gaius, couple of baby names available for those of you, Crispus and Gaius, okay? And on getting this report, I'm sure glad I wasn't. At least no one can go around saying he was baptized in my name. Come to think of it, I also baptized Stephanus's family. But as far as I can recall, that's it. I have a serious concern to bring up with you, my friends, using the authority of Jesus, our master. I'm sorry. I think I went too far. Um, That's where it ends right there. I think my copy and paste on my notes went a little further than it can. But that's where Paul, um, he finishes his writing just basically saying, I've got this concern with you. Y'all are fighting. And so today we're going to dig into why he said that, why he wrote that. And so today the, the title of our message is Tribes. Look at your neighbor and tell them Tribes. Hey, do me a favor. Let's pray, and then I'm going to seat you. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for all that you are doing in this house. We thank you, God, for how your spirit has moved in our midst. We're so thankful of all the dream team that arrived early to get this place set up, and and now we've come to this place, God, where we are ready to hear from you. Help us to silence all the other noise. Help us to silence every other critique in our life. Help us to silence everything that's competing for our attention and to just in the next 30 minutes lean in on you and lean in on what you're saying to us. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands as you are seated. I want to talk to you on this thought called tribes. Like many of you, I was shocked to hear the news of the passing of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and all the other members who passed in the terrible helicopter accident on January 22nd. I can actually remember to the moment where I was when I found out. I think it's going to be one of those moments for those of you that um, were deeply affected by it that's going to resonate with you, much like the generation before us that mourns the loss of Princess Diana and those that have lost, you know, some of the Beatles. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's just one of those things that I think is gonna, we're gonna, that's going to weigh with us. And so um, I was affected just like many of you. And then on Monday, I tuned in to watch the memorial. And, uh, man, what an impact, right? What an impact. I don't know if you saw that, but um, that's the only thing I can think of is that he had a huge 
impact. But, um, you know, after he passed, and if you look back at the days immediately following his passing, we saw a city, the city of Los Angeles, and it's a city that could really be divided by race, divided by colors, divided by economic status. We saw them put that all aside and collectively mourn the loss of Kobe and all of those that were affected in that helicopter accident. People would walk up to the memorial outside of the Staples Center, and uh, it didn't matter what color you were wearing that day. It didn't matter what, town of, what side of town you lived on on that day. It didn't matter what your socioeconomic status was on that day. When you walked up to the Staples Center, everyone was there for the same reason. We're honor honoring the legacy of this man, and we're grieving the loss of his daughter. Now, in the collective grief of people of all backgrounds and all walks of lives, I couldn't help but notice something that I believe applies to our lives today and to our teaching today. There was unity there in the celebration of his life. People who are normally divided came together, if just for a few moments, as they mourned him and as they celebrated his life. And, and so everyone from all walks and backgrounds, they, they had a common denominator of grief. And, and they laid down their individual identities to rally around this common den denominator of grief. Now, if I, if I read this, now if I take that information and, and, and add to that the text that we just read right now, we see Paul writing to the church in Corinth because something opposite has happened. You see, rather than the church being united in purpose, and rather than the church being united in mission, they began to divide. People were picking sides. People were deciding which apostle was their favorite, as if any of that matter. They, they began to start taking sides within the church, and this began to create big problems. Now, 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 let me set up some of this context for you so that we can dig in and fully appreciate why Paul wrote this. You see, unlike some of the other epistles that Paul wrote, Paul didn't sit down wherever he was that day and decide, you know, it's been a while since I've talked to my friends over in Corinth. Let me write a letter to them. You see, that's not what happened at all. Paul was in Ephesus, and he was starting another church in Ephesus. It's another part of the world. And the church in Corinth was a church that Paul helped get off the ground. And while he's in Ephesus getting a new church off the ground, someone arrives to where he's at, and she's carrying a letter. It's, it's a member of the household of Chloe. And it said, I'm looking for Paul. And finally she finds Paul, and she delivers to him this letter. And this letter is like, Paul, the church is a mess. Paul, the church is falling apart. Paul, they're picking sides. Let me tell you some of the things that were going on. Paul, they're picking sides. They're saying, some are saying you're their favorite. And others are saying that, that Apollos is their favorite. And some are saying Peter's their favorite. But beyond that, Paul, they're suing each other in the church. I mean, like, people were getting into bad business together, and, and now they're fighting because they're suing one another. But, Paul, it doesn't end there. There's sexual immorality in the church. I mean, there's a guy that's actually sleeping with his father's new wife. This is all that's going on in Corinth, y'all, okay? I'm paraphrasing this book. And, and, and then that's not even where it stops. They're like, and then when we do get together in worship, it's out of control. Uh, Paul had to devote two entire chapters of his epistle on trying to fix how you behave when you come to church. It was a hot mess. 
And, 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 and imagine for a second, Paul's just trying to get this new church off the ground, and he thinks he left Corinth in good hands. I've left them with good leaders. They're with good people, and everything's going to be okay. And he's over here trying to put out a fly, trying to, to start this church, and they're over here saying, Paul, can you come back and put out this mess? Look at your neighbor and tell them, hot mess. That's what was going on. The church in Corinth had gotten ridiculous, and we're going to peel it apart one by one over the next few weeks. But today I want to talk to you about this whole picking sides thing that was happening. That's why, that's why I want to talk to you on this thought called tribes. Tribes. Because whether you know it or not, you run in a tribe. We all run in tribes. You have your in-group. And there are things and jokes that you say within your in-group that if you said those jokes in another setting, they just wouldn't work. How many know what I'm talking about? There's a handshake that you do. There's a nod that you do. There's a way that you laugh together. There's a way that you have camaraderie together. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what I'm trying to get you to see is that you've got a tribe. Everybody's got a tribe. And the problem was is that the tribes had gotten out of control in Corinth. And, and the reason that is so, um, and, and the reason that that was uh, so damning to the church at that time and, and why it was so critical, here's the first thing that I want you to write down is Jesus' final prayer for the church was that it would be one. You need to get that. Jesus' final prayer here on earth before he began to endure all of the beating and eventually his death at Calvary when he prayed in the garden and it was him alone with his father. He said, oh, that my church would be one. Oh, that they would be one. Let's put it up on the screen. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. Jesus prayed this prayer in the garden. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me because of my test, because of their testimony. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one just as you and I are one. You want to know why Jesus needed the church to be one? It's because what Jesus knew and what the enemy knew is that anytime the church is united, there is nothing that can stop it. I'm going to say that again. Anytime the church is united, there is nothing that can stop the church. You see, the church is God's plan to save mankind today. There is no plan B. You are the plan. Nobody else is coming. His plan to redeem this earth now will be done through you, through your life, through the church, through the word of your testimony. He's not going to come and send any more, as far as we know, he's not going to come and send any more mass events that impact all of humanity in order to point them to Jesus. He said, no, 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 what I'm going to do now is I'm going to put my spirit inside of every single person who believes in me, and they are going to reach places that I can't reach and they're going to go places that I can't go and they're going to talk to people that can't see me eye to eye. We are God's solution for the world. It's you, the church. We believe that the church is the hope of the world. We are the hope of the world. Can you believe that? What, that, that this was his big plan. His big plan is that when he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, now I'm going to leave, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my spirit in you, and the same things that you saw me do, you're going to be able to do. 
Because it's more difficult to believe an, in, in, an invisible God than to see your faith on display. People are going to see you. Listen, you are the only Jesus some people will ever see. You are the only Bible some people will ever read. They may not read their Bible, but they're reading you. When they see you on Monday and they ask you, how was your weekend? Did you turn up? No, I went to church. I turned up at church. I turned up at church. We had a good time. And they're going to be watching your life and they're going to be observing you and you are going to be what they read. And Jesus said, I'm okay with that as long as you're doing it right. Now, when you're the biggest problem in the office, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> if you're the biggest gossip in the office, you're doing it wrong. If you are the drama queen in the office, you are doing it wrong. His expectation is I'm going to put my spirit on the inside of you, and it's going to give you the power to do it right. And people are going to come to me, not because they can see me, because we can't see the invisible God, but we can see God working on the inside of you. And when we see God working on the inside of you, it's going to unite our faith in him. And so Jesus' final prayer was that you would be one. The second thing that I want you to write down, when we are united in the purpose of expanding the kingdom, the church becomes an unstoppable force. But here's the problem. And, 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 and as I mentioned a minute ago, it's the problem that's only going to get worse in this year because this year is an election year. I'm not talking about all this stuff on accident, y'all. Pastor Josh has a plan. <laughs> I want to talk to you before we start getting crazy on which side of the political agenda you are on. See, because what happens is we pick tribes. We pick tribes. We have in-groups and we have out-groups. Some of your in-group is the political party that you're affiliated with. And that's not, hey, listen, and there is nothing wrong because eventually you're going to have to show up and vote. And please show up and vote. And please show up and vote. But, but the problem becomes when you can't sit down and have a civil conversation with someone who's on the other side of you. Now we've got a problem. Because in a church setting like this, don't be surprised that there's going to be people sitting in your row that aren't going to vote the way that you vote. And if we're not careful, we'll allow that to creep into the church and to divide the church. And his final prayer was that they would be one. One. So we have to be careful that we don't allow our preferences. We have to be careful that we don't allow our choices to then form the in-groups and the out-groups. Those who believe like us and those who don't believe like us. I've never understood why, church, why Christians could be so mean to people who don't believe in Jesus. I've never understood that. What makes you think you can be self-righteous just because you got a revelation before they did? You want to know what the truth is? God died for them just as much as he died for you. You are not special because you first received it. Now, I celebrate with you, but that does not give you, that does not give you a reason to be mean to them. That does not give you a reason to condemn them. That does not give you a reason to look down upon them. They are just as much a son or daughter of God as you. They just not yet had a relationship with him yet. And so I thank God for your encounter, but if you do it right, you can actually let them know and lead them to have the same encounter that you have had if you do it right. Now, I'm challenged on this all the time. Do you want to know where I am at my worst? Pastor Josh is going to bear his soul, okay? It's going to be confessional right now, okay? And then y'all going to run and hide from me in the parking lot, all right? I am never, I am, I am at my worst with drivers that don't know how to drive on the road. I'm at my worst. That's when you need to intercede for Pastor Josh, okay? 
I need like the blood to cover me, <laughs> as they used to say in the old church, you know. I need traveling mercies, whatever that means. It's like I need traveling mercies. I'm at my worst. And the and the challenge is sometimes now I'm like, like, like here's the worst, right? Here's the worst. I, I, I pulled up and it was a, a right turn, right? And the light was on and it was green and it was saying, go. If you're in the right lane, go. You know, it, it's red for everyone else except for you because you're in the right lane. It says green. Green means Go. I mean, my toddler understands that, right? And then when they're just sitting there, right? Oh, my God. I wish I could tell you I had more patience. But for some reason, I t- my patience is gone. I mean, it is gone. And, and I'm like, go. I'll just, like, yell it in my car. And then I'll forget, oh, man, my kids are in the car. And Jude's like, Dad, why would you yell at the car? I'm like, don't ever do that because your dad is dumb. That's just ridiculous. I mean, come on. Come on, Really? Really, and, 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 and that's when I'm at my worst. And, and you all got your moments, too. Don't be looking at me with haterade, okay? You all got your moments, too. But my point in all of that is saying is that we've got to be really aware of how we are treating other people, especially other people who do not know God yet. Because they're reading us, and they're watching us. I mean, I got a Lighthouse Church sticker on my car. Sometimes I got to forget that it's on, you know? I'd be lying if I didn't tell you there was times when I thought about just taking it off so nobody would judge me. <laughs> Maybe it's better that they don't know I'm a Christian. But do you want to know what rallies us? What rallies us is our faith in Christ. And it's not just our faith in Christ. It's because we observe the way Jesus lived. Let me, let, me, let me explain to you just how amazing Jesus was. We who are Jesus followers. Because if, if you see what he did, and if you're trying to live like him, there's no reason why you can't do the same. Listen, Jesus chose disciples who were not considered smart enough to be rabbis. One of these days I'm going to unpack, unpack that statement. But the, the 12 disciples that Jesus chose do you want to know? Do you want to know what made them so strange? Is they were rejects. You didn't become a fisherman or a tax collector by choice. The number one profession that anybody wanted to be in that time was a rabbi. You went into some other line of work if you weren't good enough to be a rabbi. And where did Jesus get his disciples from? All the people that weren't good enough. Why, why do you think there was, why do you think they struggled to the, accept the disciples so much everywhere they went? They had a problem with the disciples. The context is, is that they weren't even supposed to be disciples to begin with. They didn't make the cut. And, and so Jesus chose who society would call rejects, and he empowered them and said, you all, you all are going to be my disciples. You know what else? Jesus wasn't afraid to be near the sick when you weren't supposed to be near the sick. The law dictated that when, when someone had leprosy, you couldn't be around that person. But do you want to know what Jesus did? Jesus went to where the lepers were. And he didn't just come to them. He healed them. You see, he was a friend of the rejected. He was a friend of the rejected. Jesus healed the Roman officer's servant when the Jews were under Roman oppression. You see, the Jews were underneath Roman oppression. The Jews didn't like being underneath Roman oppression. They were used and abused, and some of them forced into slavery. And when the Roman came to him, the, the, the Roman guard, the Roman officer came to Jesus and said, can you heal my servant at home? Jesus could have very easily said, nah, man, you don't run in my tribe. I'm here for the Jews. I'm not here for the Gentiles. I'm not here, much less you, Roman officer. We don't agree with you. But what did he do? He healed the Roman officer's servant because Jesus was not like anyone else that came before him. 
Jesus took a tax collector. Tax collectors were like some of the most despised people in, 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 um, in, in the Jewish culture at that time because they were Jews. They were seen as turncoats because they were Jews who started working for Rome, now collecting taxes for the man, if you will. And Jesus said, Matthew, get over here. You're going to be one of my disciples. Everyone's like, what? We hate tax collectors. But Jesus is like, I have no tribes. I have no tribes. It's okay for him to roll with me. I'm not done there. Jesus would talk to and empower women when it was countercultural to do so. I need for you to get that. In, in, in this time, women were second-class citizens. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm going to put you on an equal platform with men. It was Jesus who did that. It was not a feminist agenda. It was Jesus' agenda. Catch that. Catch that. Who were the first people to learn the news of the resurrection of Jesus? Women. And who did Jesus say, go and spread the news about me to? Women. He empowered women in a culture when it was, when it was, when it, when it was not allowed. Last thing. Jesus went head on against racism by teaching and preaching in Samaria. Samaria was a part of town where the Jews didn't like to venture into Samaria because the Samaritans were, so you see, pure-blooded Jews were racist against Jews that had intermarried with people from other backgrounds, other nationalities. And so they, they looked down on any time someone was Jew but mixed with maybe Egyptian or, or Ethiopian or whatever it was. They looked down on them. And so much so that the Samaritans weren't even allowed in Jewish temples. Did you know that? They, they couldn't even come into Jerusalem and go to the temple in Jerusalem. They could not come to the mountain of Sinai. They weren't allowed on the mountain. So do you want to know what the Samaritans had to do, those that were Jews? But, you know, mommy got your mommy and daddy intermarried. And so do you want to know what they had to do in order to, to attempt to live out their Jewish faith? They had to have their own mountain. And their own temple because they weren't allowed to come to the temple in Jerusalem. So that's why when Jesus shows up on John chapter 4 and he talks to the woman on the well who is Samaritan, she said, you all say it's at Mount Sinai where we worship. But we Samaritans say it's on Mount Gerizim. You guys tracking with me so far? What was she saying? She was saying there's racism even within the Jewish faith. Because you don't allow us to come into your temples. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus went right into Samaria, sat on the well, and talked to a woman, not just any woman, a woman that had been married five times and she was on her sixth husband. She had something complicated. You know what I mean? It's like, what was her Facebook status? It's complicated. And, and, and Jesus goes to her, and he gives her a revelation of who he is, and then she goes into Samaria and preaches all about Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the greatest unifier ever known to humanity. Jesus is the answer to division. That's the last thing I want you to write down. Jesus is the answer to division. And it wasn't just then, but he still is the answer to division today. Say amen if you're with me. Jesus is still the answer to this world because, listen, if you are a Jesus follower, it's impossible for you to be racist. It. It's the truth, y'all. It is impossible for you to be racist and claim to be a Jesus follower. You cannot be a Jesus follower and be sexist. You can't. 
You cannot claim to be a Jesus follower and be a misogynist or an elitist or a classist. You simply cannot claim to be a Jesus follower and be any of those things because you're far from him. That's not who he is. That's not who Jesus is. And listen, centuries of a brand of Christianity existed that actually taught this mess. And that is why the Reformation movement is so powerful because we saw this teaching that was like, wait, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. And, and, and we have had to correct some often and even correct the racial divide that exists within church. Do you want to know the only reason there is black churches because black people weren't allowed into white churches? It was never supposed to be white church, black. It's just they weren't allowed in. And so they had to go and start their own church. And the organization that we came out of, because this is a gener- this is a, we, we belong to an organization that, that started with migrant farm workers in the 20s, in the 20s. They started the, the, the movement that we came out of. If you go back and you look at the credentials of their minister's license, they were signed by the black church because the white church wouldn't sign them. And so our, we actually, the, the Hispanic Pentecostal movement comes out of the quote-unquote black church because we couldn't sit in a white church. And, and, and that's what Jesus said. We, we can't stand for that. And that's why it's so beautiful to sit in a setting like this and we could all come together, black, white, brown, yellow. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. I don't care how rich you are, how poor you are, what, you, what things look like last week. You belong here. Come on, you belong here. And if you feel like you've got problems, more so you belong here. First wife, second wife, it doesn't matter. You belong here. You belong here. All are welcome here because this is what Jesus fought for. If you look at his life, he unified every single divide. He unified when the world, listen, the world is still trying to divide this country by race. The media sensationalizes stories because they're trying to put you on a side and we're not going to let the enemy do it. I said the church is not going to let the enemy do it. I'm not going to be put on a side. People ask me, are you, are you Republican? Are you Democratic? I said, man, I vote the issues because I am kingdom minded. I'm all about the kingdom of God. It ain't about right or left. It's about his agenda. And, and I align with his agenda. Well, Pastor Josh, sounds like you're straddling both sides of the fence. You can call it that, but I say being, I call it being centered on the word of God. That's what I call it. I call it being grounded on the truth of Jesus's teachings. And so listen, j- just, just like, just like we saw a city come together because of Kobe, Jesus brings a world together. All of mankind, Jesus brings us all together. And his, what he taught was different. Listen, you've probably already figured this out by now, but we're a Jesus church. We are Jesus followers. I'm a Jesus guy. I just believe in his teachings. And when I look at his life and I look at his teachings, I see no better way to live. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, he knew, he knew that this was going to be challenged for all that would follow him because of everything that was happening at their time. But it didn't end with Jesus. You see, Jesus had a radical encounter with a man named Saul. Saul was actually killing Christians, and Jesus radically saved him. 
And once Jesus radically saved him, Jesus gave him a, 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 a I can just call it a crazy revelation of who he was to Paul. And so when Jesus ascended into heaven, because he needed someone to carry on this banner of unity, he said, Paul, you're going to continue to preach the way I preach. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 through 28, we'll get that on the screens. Paul said this, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been made like him. Listen to what he says. Therefore, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. He's talking about race. Paul said, you know what? It doesn't matter what race you are. We've been united in Christ Jesus. It don't matter if you're black or white, brown or yellow. It doesn't matter any of that. All that matters, when he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, what he's saying is we're all united in Jesus. We are all united. He goes on to say there's neither slave nor free. You know what's crazy about this? Let me pause here for a second. Because some people read these scriptures and they get them all twisted and out of context. They say the Bible promotes slavery. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Paul, in other passages of, of the Bible, he would say this. He would say, slaves, uh, he goes, for those of you that are in slavery, I want you to honor those who are above you, your masters. And those who are masters, I want you to honor those who are below you. You see, there was a system that was already established in the world, and Paul couldn't flip that system around. Paul couldn't change that. This was something that was dictated by the nation. This was, this was a Roman class system. And Paul couldn't just undo all of slavery, but do you want to know what he could do? He said, look, when we're in Christ now, you may be free, you may be a slave, and I may not be able to end all of slavery, but you know what we can do? We could start loving each other in such an unusual way that other people would be like, how in the world could you possibly love your master? Because I have Jesus. And if someone asked the master, how could you possibly honor that slave of yours? Because I've got Jesus. Jesus is the great unifier. He unifies. And Paul knew I can't change the system, but what I can do is flip it on his head. We can look different than any other system that exists. And then he goes on to say, there's neither male or female. He says it doesn't matter what gender you are. Again, in a society and in a time when women were considered second-class citizens. As a matter of fact, in many of those Middle Eastern countries, it hasn't changed. And, 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 and it was Paul who echoed the words of Jesus and said, hey, there's neither male nor female. Listen, there's still a lot of religions that don't even teach that. There's a lot of religions that don't even up that still don't even uphold that, where 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 where, where women are, are are just treated as utilitarian. They they they're just utilities. That's all they are. And, and and Jesus never taught that, and Paul never taught that. Paul says, "Let me set the record straight. For all of us have, that have been united in Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no race. There's neither slave nor free. There's no class. There's neither male nor female. It doesn't matter what gender you are. For you all are Christians." You are one in Christ Jesus. Come on, clap your hands if you celebrate that word. And I'm coming to a close now. See, we are all, in God's eyes, we are all one. And that's the power of the gospel. And that's the power of living the life as a Jesus follower. Oh, my God. That's the power of living this life as a Jesus follower. If I want to pattern my life after Jesus' life... I I can't be a bigot. You tracking with me? If I want to pattern my life after Jesus' life, I can't look down on someone just because they don't own a home and they're having to live on the street. I can't do that. As a matter of fact, I'm called to help them out. I'm called to 
help them out. I, I want to thank you. I'm going to put a little insertion here. I want to thank you all because just last week, because of this church's generosity, last year we partnered with an organization called Humanity Showers, and we helped them buy a trailer, and they take this trailer that is a portable shower unit, and they go to the homeless community and allow the homeless to have a bath and, and, and to take a shower. And, and that's a beautiful thing, amen? That is a beautiful thing to be able to help those who are less fortunate. But listen, we weren't done. Not only did we help them buy that, but they wanted to put a wrap on it with their name on it. So I said, we got you. So we helped them out. So give yourselves a round of applause because now that unit's been wrapped and you all made that possible. I put it up on Instagram. Let y'all see it. If you ain't on the gram, come on, we got to get you on the gram, grandma. Let's go. Let's go. Just kidding. Just kidding. But listen, whether this city knows it or not, the church is the best answer to these issues we've been talking about. I really do believe that. I don't believe social programs are the fix. I believe Jesus is the fix. I really do believe that. I, I don't believe it's a social program. I believe it's Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the answer to racism. We need to get people's hearts turned. We need to get people to start seeing Jesus for who he is and start living their life the way Jesus lived. I believe Jesus is the answer. I believe that Jesus is on a mission of uniting people, and our job is to carry that mission until its completion, until he comes back for his church again. Come on, clap your hands if you believe that's what we're called to do. I can't wait to continue unpacking this series with you all. How we doing so far week one? We coming at you, huh? We coming at you. Tribes. We've got in-groups. We've got out-groups. We pick our sides. But my challenge today is that you would not bury yourself in a foxhole and refuse to see someone else's pain and someone else's hurt. You want to know the crazy thing about a coin? Is I can hold up a coin in this room and you'll see one side of the coin, and I'll see on the other side of the coin. And you want to know what? We're both right. We're both right. What we need to do is start looking at the other person's perspective. And what we should as a church do is look on the other side of people's coin to see why do they see things that way. And when you begin to do that, you can begin to unpack now Jesus' agenda. You can begin to unpack how Jesus has called us to be one. That's crazy. Because going back to where we started in Corinthians, people started picking sides because it was in their nature to be divided. That's just what they were used to. They were used to that. So they brought that mess into the church. That's why we really want y'all to go to Growth Track. And today is step one of Growth Track. And we're going to start this thing once again. Today we want to unpack how your story can exist in our story. And we believe that your story is still being written just like our story is being written. And there's an intersection of your story and our story. And we believe it is at that intersection where we can begin to see Jesus do something new in your life. And so I would love at the conclusion of our service for you to meet me at Growth Track. I'll be teaching. My wife will be there. We'll feed you. We'll watch your kids. We would love to connect with you. If you've not yet been through step one of Growth Track, you got to go today. It's going to be incredible. Actually, we rewrote a lot of the materials. It is fresh and new, and I'm excited to teach it. But here's why I said all that. You can get out of a life of sin and still not get the sin out of you. Get what I'm talking about? It's like that old saying, you can get the girl out the hood, but you can't get the hood out the girl. <laughs> you can get out of Egypt, but you got to get Egypt out of you. That's why we want you to get you on a path of freedom. Because many of you are here now, but has the past really left you? We want for you to find freedom from all of that. 
And I think what happened in the church was people came to church, but they didn't get their baggage out of them. And that's why they had all these tribes, people picking sides. I roll with Paul. I roll with Apollos. Peter's my man. Now I'm just a Jesus guy. What is all of that? What is all of that? But do you want to know what the, clue, do you want to know what the clue is to all this? In that passage of Scripture that I read, and I don't want to gloss over it. I'm going to close here. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism. What unites us? Baptism. And there are many of you in this room who have not yet made that decision to get baptized. And today I'm coming for you. If you've not yet made the decision to get baptized, that is your next step. Some of you already raised your hand, said, I accept Christ into my heart. I receive him into my life. And that is a great step. But there is a next step for you. And that next step is for you to get baptized. Because it is through baptism that we are united with Christ. And we are made like him. And so you've been coming. But it's time to take that next step and say, you know what? I've not yet been baptized. And I, I want to do it. First off, because the word tells me to do it. Second off, because I feel convicted to do it. I feel like that is my next. I want that oneness with him. I know that when I am baptized, the, 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 my past life is, is, is washed away. And I am now united with Christ. And I can experience in my life, newness of life, a fresh start. And I don't have to live and accept the world's agenda and the division that they're trying to cause. I want to walk in the newness of life again. Come on, so right there where you're at, would you just lean in? I want to pray for you right there where you're at. Would you close your eyes all over this house? I want you to just have a conversation with your father right there where you are. I'm going to pray over you, but right there where you're at. I think some of you are hearing God talk to you. I think some of you are thinking about taking that next step. You've been praying about it. You've been wondering, what's my next? How, how, how do I do that? This whole baptism thing. Is that for me? Listen. It's for you. It's what he wants for you. Come on, let me lead you in prayer where you're at. Father, we thank you for... If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.